Rocky Peak. Michael here. Great to be with you to share this weekend together as we continue to pursue God uh, as a church. Uh, if we haven't met yet, uh, I am Michael. I'm one of the pastors here and looking forward to this time together uh, as we unpack God's word and continue the series we're in on spiritual warfare. Before we do, just a special announcement. You know, this summer, we added another pastor to our staff, and we're real excited about that. I think you got some pictures up here. His name is uh, Scott Kim, and uh, you know, it's kind of crazy because we're right in the middle of COVID, and normally we'd probably introduce him on stage, and then we'd have a reception out in the patio afterwards, uh, but that's just really not possible. But this weekend, I wanted to introduce Scott to you because he's actually gonna play a very important role, part of our uh, kind of relaunch of our campus. And so he's, uh, Scott's title is uh, Pastor of Adult Ministries. Uh, you'll be hearing more about that. One of the things he's going to be doing specifically in our relaunch is he's heading up our ministry, this new uh, weekend ministry. We've got uh, Rocky Peak Home Churches where you can gather in your home, invite people in. And so he's your guy. Uh, he'll be he's the, the resource person to help you uh, set that up and get, get going in that. And so I wanted to introduce him to you today. I think we got another picture, maybe it came up already, of his uh, family. But uh, what I wanted to do is this week, I actually sat down with Scott, and we did an interview together, about 15 minutes, just a little bit about his spiritual journey, how he came to Jesus, uh, his call to ministry, uh, the two previous churches he served at, what he's done, what's his passion, and what he specifically will be doing here for us. And so if you'd like to know more about Scott, his family, or whatever, I encourage you just to go to our website. And if you just, uh, after the service is over, just kind of uh, scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see videos there. One with Scott's there. We'll probably send out, if you're with social media with us, Instagram, Facebook, we'll probably send that out this week as well. But we're really excited. Amazing. You know, we just believe that God is bringing us an incredible team here to help us unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. And we are so high on Scott and his family. It's just such a gift to us. And so I look forward to you getting a chance to meeting him soon, maybe even next weekend here on campus. And I, I can't tell you, I'm so looking forward. I know that you won't all be able to join us next weekend for a wide variety of reasons, but I'm so looking forward. 10 o'clock uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to be gathering together out behind the worship center, first time in six months on a weekend, just to pursue God together. So looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to continuing connecting with those of you online uh, every week who for whatever reason, distance or COVID concerns or whatever, are not able to be here. So we're going to be going through our time of teaching right now. And so uh, as Tim mentioned, if you haven't done so already, if you'd go ahead and kind of download that message note sheet, get your Bibles ready, we're going to pray and jump in. Let's pray. Well, God, we're just so excited to be here today in your, your house together under your leadership. And we're so thankful for the ministry of your spirit, Jesus, and the way that you speak to us through your word, and the way that you speak to us through your spirit, the way you take the truths that um, are the unseen realm and you reveal them to us so our lives can be changed. And so we pray that today as we unpack your word together, I just pray for a great freedom as I teach. I pray for the Holy Spirit's presence in this place. And I pray that wherever these, uh, each person is watching at home, on a boat, in a park, in a car, wherever, that your Holy Spirit will be there and you would shepherd us together as a church even though we're physically far apart. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Man. Well, our story starts today, uh, last summer. In fact, uh, it, was, uh, it was on a weekend. 
And uh, I was remembering a promise that I'd made a long time ago. If we were to re-roll the tape uh, back a few years, uh, some of you may remember this. There was uh, a time about three or four years ago, I bought a new motorcycle. And uh, it was a very different kind of motorcycle than I'd been riding in the past. And I was so excited to get it and to begin to experiment and take it out, go places where I hadn't been able to go before on my previous cycle, just have some adventures. And, and you know some of the stories behind that. Um, but about that time, uh, my wife, uh, my wife and I have a close friend, and uh, my wife told me, hey, this friend, um, she really wants to go for a ride on your new motorcycle. She rode on your old motorcycle. She's really hoping you'll take her on a long ride on the new motorcycle. And uh, of course, I really wanted to do that, but I also wanted to get used to the bike. Very different dynamics, type, different type of bike, different center of gravity and so on. I just wanted to get used to the bike before I took someone else uh, with me. And so I intended to do that much sooner, but as time went on, one thing came up uh, after another. You'll remember that it was about uh, almost a year and a half ago, I had a serious accident where I smashed my head, tore my hand apart. That put things on hold for a while. Um, and so this summer, though, uh, all of a sudden, I remembered that her birthday was coming up that next week, and I thought this would be perfect. I could, I could take her on a long ride. We could go up to the mountains. We could go out for dinner, celebrate her birthday, and so I sent her a text. And she was completely surprised because she thought I'd forgotten all about it. But of course I hadn't. And so the, the night came. It was a Tuesday night. I saw I'll be at your place at five o'clock. And so she comes out, got her helmet there for her, extra helmet, get her all fitted up. She gets on, I get on, and we take off. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in now for the last about by four months, I think it is called The Resurrected King, Spiritual Warfare in Times of Challenge. And boy, these are times of challenge, aren't they? They continue to be challenging times. Uh, and if you've been with us in this series, one of the things we've learned is that as followers of Jesus, when we come to Jesus, we, we enter into a whole new level of spiritual warfare um, against the enemy that's very, very real, very personal, um, very strong, strategic, uh, and, and kind of... Uh, out to destroy us. And so the key passage that, that we've been studying to learn how to win this battle is in Ephesians chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and turn there. Uh, this is a final letter of a letter from the Apostle Paul to the followers of Jesus who lived in and around the major metropolitan area of the city of Ephesus, third largest city in the Roman Empire. And so we'll pick up again at uh, verse, uh, verse 10. And there in your note sheet, you have a section called Spiritual Warfare, the Shield of Faith. So uh, just to set it up, we'll pick it up, pick it up again in verse 10. And so Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Uh, be strong in the resurrected king, the one who has conquered the powers of darkness, as we've talked about earlier in the letter. And be strong in his mighty power. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, his methodeus. Remember in the Greek, his methods, his tactics. For our struggle as followers of Jesus together, it's, it's not against flesh and blood. It may look like that, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the battle is raging, when the enemy is attacking, that you can stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And so as we've seen each week, this is the core challenge. 
that you and I as followers of Jesus have entered into a new level of spiritual warfare against the enemy who's very real, that's very strong, very smart, strategic, designed to take us out. And the only way that we can win is to plug into the power of our resurrected king and then put on this full armor of God. And so from this point on in the passage, the apostle is gonna give us six or seven examples of what he means by putting on the armor of God. And so he starts in verse 14, and he says, he says stand firm then, having your, uh, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And so he saw this early that Satan's primary weapon against us is deception, our primary defense is truth. And then he goes on and he says, second piece you're gonna put on is the breastplate of righteousness. And then you're gonna put in your feet, you're gonna fit them with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, this gospel that restores our vertical relationship with God through the death of Christ and our horizontal relationship with one another. We've talked about that. And then we come today to the fourth piece of equipment. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of what? The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So in ancient warfare, one of the most terrifying weapons an enemy could bring to bear in battle was flaming arrows. Uh, arrows, darts, they came in different sizes, length, they were shot in different ways. Bows, uh, siege engines, and so on. But these, uh, these arrows would be uh, kind of wrapped in a certain kind of cloth and then uh, dipped in pitch and lit on fire. And sometimes in ancient warfare, you could have the bowmen of thousands of bowmen launch these flaming missiles at the same time they would fill the sky. You can imagine the terror that they would, they would bring on an enemy, uh, not only for, for fear of the arrows that could pierce your armor or, or uh, pass through your armor and kill you or wound you, but also because of, of the fire that would set aflame anything around you. Like if you were in a city and these, these, uh, these arrows came in, they, they landed on a roof or on a wooden building, the city could start to burn. So they were terrifying, and one of, the, uh, one of the, the, the most important weapons the Roman soldiers would carry to protect them from these arrows were large wooden shields. Now, these were shields were huge. They weighed over 20 pounds. They were, they were almost like carrying a small door. They were made of uh, two pieces of wood that had been glued together, and catch this, they were four feet high, two and a half feet wide, covered with leather, and then the edges would have, especially the top and the bottom, metal, and the middle of the shield would be a, a large iron boss to deflect the enemy's uh, attack. And so it was a, a tremendous offensive and defensive weapon. It would protect you from the attack of your enemy, but also you could use it as a weapon to attack. But it was especially helpful to protect you from these uh, fiery, uh, fiery arrows because you could actually hide behind it. It was so big uh, and it was a little bit concave. You could actually kneel down and hold this over yourself uh, to protect you from these arrows. And in fact, uh, the Roman soldiers had a particular maneuver that was really uh, fantastic. They would have, they, they would gather together shield to shield on all four sides with two guys.
guys in the middle holding your shields overhead. It was called the testudo or the tortoise that would, that during this time would almost uh, protect you from all attack. And so this is the, this is the imagery that Paul says. He says, you're, we're in a battle. Uh, the enemy is shooting flaming arrows designed to destroy you. Um, and so to defend ourselves, we, we have to hold up our shields. Our shields are the shield of faith. But of course, this raises the question, what are the arrows? If we're in a spiritual battle and arrows are coming, what are the arrows that Satan is using? That is what we'll see is that these arrows can be very diverse. In fact, early in this series, I introduced you to uh, one of my favorite scholars on spiritual warfare. Um, he's, at, uh, he's at Biola University. His name is Dr. Clinton Arnold. He's a New Testament scholar. He's actually written a lot, both uh, scholarly and uh, popular level, on spiritual warfare. But he's also written uh, academic uh, uh, commentary on the book of Ephesians. And there you note sheet, I put a quote uh, that he talks about these arrows. What are these arrows that Satan uses in our life? And so he says both Origen and Jerome. Now, Origen and Jerome were two of the early church leaders, scholars. We call them the church fathers. He said, so both Origen and Jerome are correct in their interpretation of the arrows to be the devil's interjection of evil thoughts into the minds of believers. So both Origen and Jerome taught that, that when Paul says that the, the enemy shoots these arrows, that it's referring to thoughts that he puts in our mind. Thoughts of temptation, thoughts of uh, doubt, thoughts of worry, uh, thoughts of uh, self-incrimination, whatever it is. He says they're, they're right, but, he says, but there's no reason to limit the metaphor to this one form of attack. And look at this. In addition to what has been said, the list could include, these arrows could include things like persecution from political authorities, thoughts of accusation of sin that bring intense feelings of guilt. You know, the, the enemy attacks us uh, and tries to destroy us through shame and through guilt. Uh, it could be false teaching by those who claim to be Christians. It could be direct demonic attack through sickness and dreams. We see that in the Gospels, right? It could be temptations to engage in behaviors displeasing to God. So the arrows could be temptation. He gives some examples. Spontaneous thoughts of doubt, disobedience, rebellion, lust, malice, or fear. He said there can be no doubt that Paul's expression, this fiery, you know, this fiery arrows, uh, conveys the, seem, uh, the, the sense of extreme danger. And so, so what I want you to catch is when Paul says that the enemy is going to shoot flaming arrows at us, that these arrows can be of many different kind. They begin internal thoughts, they can be external circumstances, wide variety, but here's what I want you to catch. I think the key to all of them is understanding what Paul says, here's how you defend yourself. He says, when these arrows come, you need to hold up the shield of what? The shield of faith. And I think that gives us a clue into what Paul is saying. I think what he's saying is whatever the arrows are, that they're all designed to get us to question, catch this, to question and doubt the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God. 
Because if the enemy can get us to question or doubt the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God, that he can get us to give up during hard times, to give in during times of temptation, and to give way to his lies and his work in our life. And so topic on the table today is this topic of faith and the role that faith plays in the spiritual battle. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Spiritual Warfare, Faith in Doubt. And I wanna start today by just highlighting three big picture principles about faith, what faith is, how faith releases the power of God, how, how the enemy uses doubt to destroy us, three big picture principles to understand the role that faith plays in our in spiritual warfare. And then we'll come back at the end and talk about how, have, if faith is that important, how does our faith grow? And what are some priorities we need to have to put ourselves in a place where our faith can grow? And so let's jump in. So three principles. Three big picture principles about faith and doubt. The first one goes like this. Uh, it's sort of a definition. I'm gonna start with the definition of faith. That faith is trust in a person. That biblical faith, when, when we come to the Bible, what does it mean to have faith in the Bible, in our relationship with God, that faith has to do with putting trust in a person, and of course that person is the personal God who's really there. Now, this is really important for us to understand because in our culture today, especially when we're talking about spiritual life, there are many misconceptions about what faith is. For example, in our culture, one of the most popular misconceptions is what I like to describe as faith in faith. In our culture today, there's a tremendous emphasis, not in faith in God, but faith in faith. That if we will just believe something hard enough, we can create reality. In fact, this is sort of the thought in the New Age movement between the, and the law of magnetism, the law of attraction, that, that what we think we draw into our lives. Um, and so, so often in our world today, when people talk about faith, it's not, so much, uh, it's not so important what you believe, but that you believe in something. In fact, back in 2018, Nike introduced uh, kind of very popular um, kind of uh, commercial. And, uh, and what it said is just believe in something. And so there's, there's, this, there's this concept in our culture that in order to be successful in life, the key is that you just believe. You believe in something. But what we're gonna see today is that that biblical faith is not faith in faith. It's faith in the God who is really there. And it's a, it's a trust, it's a personal relation, it's a relational term. Just like in a human relationship, we would, hey, do you trust that person? Yes, I do. That biblical faith is about trust in a person who's really there. It's not faith in faith, it's trust in a person. Uh, secondly, in our culture today, and sometimes this happens in Christian circles too, is that faith is seen as almost the opposite of reason or the opposite of evidence. Like the harder, the, the harder something is to believe, the less evidence, the more that it's really faith. Um, I love the quote from uh, Mark Twain there in your note sheet, you know, the famous author. And he said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. 
right? And I think for many people, this is how the, the faith is seen as a blind leap. Faith is, faith is just kind of, a, it's, it's, it's a, the opposite of having evidence. But what we see in the Bible is faith is neither faith in faith, nor is it faith without evidence. That it's a personal trust in a God who's there, who catches, has revealed himself and given us evidence to trust him. A great example of this in the Bible is, uh, is, is the man Abram. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of, of Abram. He's told that it starts off in Genesis chapter 12. But Abraham, uh, his name was Abram, then changed to Abraham, so I'll use it both ways. But uh, Abram's story, uh, Abram's often used throughout the Bible as a model of faith. But when you look at his story, you see that his faith was not faith in faith. Um, his faith is not um, faith without evidence. What you see is that his faith was trust in a personal God who revealed himself to him and gave him evidence that he could be trusted. So let me, let me just talk about his story for a second. We won't go real deep here, but if you were to read chapter 12 of Genesis, what you find is that Abraham uh, grew up in a pagan land. He, he grew up in what would be modern day Iraq today. Um, and, and so his parents were told were idol worshipers. So he grew up uh, apparently worshiping idols. But at some point in his life, uh, the real God, the, the God who is there, uh, Yahweh, uh, revealed himself to Abraham in a personal and very powerful way. And we're given just the, the short version of it in Genesis 12 where God comes to him and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home, leave your family, your extended family, and I want you to head out and go to a land that I will show you. Doesn't even tell, you, tell him where it's gonna end up. And he makes a series of promises that if you do this, um, I will bless you, like financially, I will bless you. Um, and he said, I will protect you. I know it's a dangerous journey to be taking your family, your livestock into foreign territory, but I'll protect you supernaturally. And then he made one of the greatest problems. He said, you know what? I know you're 70 years old. I know you and your, your wife have never been able to have kids, but, but I will not only give you a son, but, but you will become a great nation. And through you, uh, one day, all the world will be blessed. And so Abraham decides to trust this God. We'll talk more later about why he does that. But what I want you to catch, this is not Abraham saying, you know what, I, I bet if I just, if, if, I, if, I, if I believe it, I can achieve it. You know, and so I, I believe that. If I just, if I leave my family and home, I go out to a new land, I, I believe I'll be prosperous. I believe I'll be safe. I'll believe I'll have a family. It wasn't faith in faith. And it wasn't faith apart from evidence that he just had a powerful personal experience with a, ver with a God that made a deep impression on him. And so what I want you to catch is in the Bible, we see it all the way through that, that faith is simply trust in a person, is trust in the God who's really there, who's revealed himself and given evidence of his trustworthiness, all right? So that's number one. Uh, faith is trust in a person. Number two, the second principle is that faith releases the power of God. Now, this is something that it's hard to miss. If you read the Bible, it's hard to miss the important role that faith plays in 
the Bible story. And I don't know about you, but sometimes um, this could seem, at least it has to me at certain times in my life, a little bit mysterious. Like, why is faith so important? Uh, This week in your life group study, if you're doing the message-based study, you'll be studying a fascinating passage of Scripture in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the faith chapter. It starts out with a definition about faith and it says without faith it's impossible to please God. Though we have to believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then it goes through a long list of Old Testament famous stories where people stepped out in faith, trusting God and did amazing things. And time and time again, you see how faith releases the power of God. And at one level, this can seem rather mystical or even mysterious, but I want to suggest to you it is neither. This is just how relationships work. Like let's say, for example, you and I are friends and you love me, you care about me, and you have a vast wealth of experience. You have a... just so much life wisdom. You have great technical skills. You're an expert in your field. You have lots of financial resources. You have so much to offer me as a friend. And you're so willing to help. But if for whatever reason, I don't trust you. I don't trust your motives. I think you're out to get me. I'm not sure you're looking out for my best interests. That I don't trust you in our relationship. Then all those resources you have you would gladly share are gonna stay with you and not pass to me. You see that that in a relationship, trust is what releases the capacity of the other person to bless you. Uh, Let me give you an example. You know, we started the day with the story of this motorcycle ride. And uh, some of you may remember back in, I think it was 2016, I got this new motorcycle. It's a, a Triumph uh, Tiger. It's a dual sport motorcycle designed to go on-road, off-road. Very different from the Harley that I was riding at the time. And so um, I got it. I was so excited to try this thing out, take it off-road. Some of you remember stories of my other adventures or misadventures. And, uh, and so we have this friend. So Lynn and I have this friend, right? And she's, uh, she's in her 80s. She's a very dear friend. And uh, she had, had uh, gone with me on a long ride on my Harley. And so when I got the Tiger, she let my wife know that, hey, I don't know if he'd be open this, but I'd love to for him to go on a long ride on the Tiger. And uh, of course, I wanted to do this, but I was also a little concerned. It was a different kind of bike, uh, just felt very different to ride, different center of gravity. I just wanted to get comfortable on the bike before I took my 80-something-year-old friend on this bike and uh, was responsible for her death. And so, uh, and so I, I planned to, to plan to do this, but one thing led to another. And, uh, and then on top of that, you remember about a year and a half ago, I had this serious accident that knocked me out for a long time, uh, on not, non-motorcycle related accident. Um, and so, but this summer, I remembered that I'd made this promise and that she really wanted to do this. And her birthday was coming up. I was trying to think, what could I do for her birthday? And I thought, this would be perfect. And so I texted her and I said, hey, do you want to go on a ride up in the mountains so I could take you up to Ojai? We could go out to dinner. And uh, she said she would love it. She thought I'd forgotten all about it. 
And so I picked her up on a Tuesday night at five o'clock and got her helmet on and we took off together and we had an amazing time. I don't know if you've ever gone up to Ojai, the back way through Santa Paula, but it's this kind of beautiful, windy mountain roads. Then we went out to Bacali's, our favorite Italian restaurant there. We sat outside. It was in the midst of COVID, but they were open. You could sit outside. We had this beautiful Italian dinner, and we talked for a long, long time. And at about 8.30, the sun was going down. We got back on. I said, hey, let's go the long way home. And so we, we jumped on that bike and we went out through all the way through Ojai and then we cut off and went up to Lake Casitas and by this time it's nighttime the moon is out it's just a gorgeous night we went up over the mountain range again the next mountain range came down the other side of the fog was thick it was super foggy and so we had that experience we went out to Carpinteria hit the 101 and then came down the 101 right by the Pacific Ocean Ocean it was just an incredible night ended back up at 10 o'clock at her house she had an amazing time. Now, I know that for some of you, you are questioning her wisdom for getting on the back of my bike, and I get that. But here's what I want you to catch. It was because she trusted me that this whole experience opened up for her. Without that, she never would have had that experience. I had, every, I had all this to offer her, I could take her on this beautiful ride. We could have a delicious dinner. We could ride through the moonlight. We could ride through the fog. We could go by the Pacific Ocean. It would be an experience she'd probably never have the rest of her life, never had one like it. But it was all predicated on her willingness to trust me. See, I had the ability to provide that, but, I could, but she could only, that could only be released in her life if she trusted me. And this is very much the situation we're in with God. That, you know, for each of us, he has a vision for our life, just like with Abraham. And yet, and he can do so much. He can do whatever he wants. But for us to tap into that power, we have to be willing to get on the back of his bike. You know, it's interesting. I don't know about you, but there was times in my life when I wondered why faith is so important. You know, the Bible says we're saved by faith. Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. We see in his ministry, people would come and so many times you'd say, your faith has healed you. We just talked about Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith Joshua. We see it all through the Bible. And the question is, why is faith so important? And here's what I want to suggest. It's nothing mystical. It's nothing mysterious. It's just the way relationships work. That God can save us. God can heal us. God can lead us. God can guide us. God can bless us. But he can only do that if we're willing to get on the back of his bike and to trust him with our lives to listen and then to follow him. So faith releases the power of God. Now, it's because of this, because faith releases the power of God that Satan will try so desperately to destroy our faith because he knows if he can get us to distrust God, he can derail us spiritually. If he can keep us from uh, trusting in the goodness 
the wisdom and the power of God, his faithfulness, that he can keep us from winning. He can destroy our lives. And you know, this goes back to the very beginning of our story as a race, this tactic that he uses. In fact, that leads to number three. The third principle goes like this, that doubt is a powerful weapon. I want you to think with me back to the story of our race as it's told in, in Genesis 1 to 3. You know, in Genesis 1 to 3, we're introduced to this amazing creator who is brilliant and he is powerful and he's creative and he loves beauty and he loves order and he's completely good. And out of that goodness, he creates this incredible cosmos that's unfolded there in Genesis 1. And the high point of the creation is the creation of the first man and the first woman to serve as king and queen, to rule over this creation for him on his behalf. And if you remember, there are very few restrictions. It's an amazing, amazing world. And he really only gives them one restriction. He says, there's this one tree, I don't want you to eat of it. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will die. Very clear. And you remember what happens in chapter three. The enemy comes, and you remember his tactic. He says, you know what, I, I know it looks like this God is good. I know it looks like he's wise. I know it looks like he's powerful. I know it looks like he loves you, but the truth is he really doesn't. And the truth is he's trying to hold you down. And so if you want to become the people you're created to be, if you wanna be everything you could be, you need to rebel. And you need to eat of that fruit because when you eat of it, you will be like God. You will know good from evil. You won't need God to tell you anymore. You will be like God. And you remember the account that they, they ate of it and just like God said they died and not just you know, eventually physically but on every level, you know, uh, spiritually, um, socially, relationally, life begins to, to fall apart. Um, but, he, but the way he destroyed them, the way the enemy destroyed them was by getting them to question the goodness, the wisdom, the power of God. And this is exactly what he does in our lives today. I want you to think about it. How many times in your life and my life, if you trace our spiritual battles back, the temptations to give up, the temptation to give in, the temptation to give way, how many times when you analyze that, it really goes back to questioning the goodness of God. Does he really love me? Is he really looking out for my best interest? Is he truly wise? Is what he's telling me the best way for me to be successful in life? Does he really care about me? Does he have the power to come through if I trust him and take this step of obedience? If you boil it all down, the issue is, can he be trusted? And the enemy knows if he can get us to question the goodness, the power, the wisdom of God, he can derail us. I love the quote there by uh, Larry Crabb, who's a famous Christian counselor. He wrote a great book called Connecting. But catch this quote. This is powerful. He says, the core battle, we're talking about spiritual battle, Right? The core battle in everyone's life is to relate well to God, to worship him, to enjoy him, to experience his presence, 
to hear his voice and then catch this, to trust him in everything. Always call him good. Obey every command, even the hard ones. And hope in him when he seems to disappear. Lord, he says, this is the core battle of our life. Do you trust in this God? Do you trust that he knows you? He sees you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. He knows what he's talking about. He's the smartest being. Like that he, when he tells you to take a step, it's the right step. When he asks you to do something hard, it's, it's worth it. It's gonna pay off in the end. Does this God love you? Does he know you? Does he know the path to life? Will he give you the power to carry it out? Will he come through with his promises? See, this is where the spiritual battle takes place. And the enemy knows it. And so he will use these fiery Arrows, whether they're thoughts on the inside or circumstances on the outside to get us to question the goodness, the power, the wisdom of God. His goal is to get us to give up, to give in, to give way, and to rebel so we can destroy ourselves. So if this is true, if faith is this important, if it's a shield of faith that protects us from the enemy's arrows, the question is, how do we grow in faith? And I think there's a lot of answers for that. There's a lot of mystery, a lot of components. But there's a couple principles that I think are especially important I wanna highlight today. So there on your note sheet, you have a section called Spiritual Warfare, How Does Faith Grow? And I just wanna highlight two of the most important principles of how faith grows that we see, we've seen today like in Abraham's life, but you see it throughout the Bible in every character's life. And so here's number one. First of all, that faith grows when God speaks. There's something powerful that when God speaks to us in our life, that there's something about his voice in our life that calls forth faith. Now, it's not guaranteed that that faith will grow, but there's something about when God speaks, there's something about the quality of his voice that empowers us. Think of it all through the Bible. Think of Moses, you know, he's so afraid to go down to Egypt, but God says, I will go with you. Uh, think of Joshua, afraid to take Israel across the Jordan, the promised land. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I will be with you wherever you go. Think of Jeremiah. When he says, Lord, I'm too young. I'm just a child. Don't say I'm too young because I will strengthen you. Right? Like throughout the Bible, we see this that when God speaks, it creates faith. Now, when I talk about God speaking today, I'm, I'm using this in a very broad sense. What I'm talking about is when God communicates to you in a personal way that you sense the voice of God in your life. It could come through God's word. In fact, this is one of the most common ways it comes. Um, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many times someone has said to me, hey, when you were teaching last weekend or doing this message, I felt like it was just, that message was just for me, like God was speaking to me. And the reality is he was. And it wasn't about me because there's, there's no way that that me speaking or Dre speaking or anyone else speaking could know all the different needs and apply it in such a personal way. But the reality is when someone is teaching the word of God, 
the Holy Spirit often takes that word and begins to speak in a powerful way and you sense, you sense God speaking to you. This can happen through the word when you're reading it one-on-one. As, as God is just opening up, I think of Luke 24 where after the resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples and he said he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We've all had those moments when we're reading the word or listening to a sermon or we're in a life group and we're discussing the word and the Holy Spirit is opening up our mind to see the reality of what God is saying in his word and we, we sense God speaking to us. Um, God can speak to us directly through his spirit. He can speak in an audible voice. That's rare. He can speak in an audible voice. We see that in the Bible. He can speak uh, in an internal voice. We can actually hear the words that are clear and distinct. Often we can sense God communicating us with a spiritual download, an insight, aha moment, where God just shows us truth there in front of us. God can speak to us through spiritual gifts, through the gift of prophecy, the gift of a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Sometimes he can speak through prophetic images that he gives us in our mind. So often the prophets, God will say, Jeremiah, what do you see? I see, I see a, an almond tree. I see a, a pot facing down from the north. Right, so many times, God can speak to us those kinds of pictures. God can speak to us in visions. God can speak to us in dreams. But when God speaks, it has a particular quality about it. There's a sense of clarity. There's a sense of rightness, a ring of truth. There's a sense of gravitas. There's a, a weightiness to it. When God speaks, there's a staying power. We don't have to remember like we, it's there. Uh, and so, however it is when God speaks, through his word, through his spirit, that it tends to stir up our faith. And like I said, we see it all through the Bible. And we see that here in Abraham's life. You know, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that, but here's a man who was raised in pagan world. Uh, his father worshiped idols. He probably grew up worship idols, worshiping idols. But all of a sudden, this God comes to him and speaks and tells him to leave everything behind and go to a land that he will show him, and he does. And have you ever wondered why he did that? And I think it's, it's, it's something about when God speaks, there's a veracity about it that's, that he sensed from the presence, his encounter with God, that this was a God that could be trusted. You know, often you meet someone, there's just some people you feel like you, you can trust them, other people, uh, not so much. But when, when God speaks, there's a sense that his voice communicates his character. And it creates a confidence that we can trust him. And so one of the ways that faith grows, and you, like I said, you see this all through the Bible, is when God speaks, it tends to create trust or faith in him. But of course, just hearing God speak and feeling like it's creating trust, that doesn't perfect our faith. Uh, that's just the start of faith. Faith is rising. It's what we do next that's most important. And that goes to number two. So the second principle is that faith grows when we follow. 
that when God speaks and he calls, like there's an area of your life where God is speaking to you about. Maybe you're having uh, an immoral, like a sexually immoral relationship with your boyfriend. Maybe you need to go apologize to your wife. Maybe the Lord is calling you to spend more time with him or to, to launch a ministry. Or it could be in the area of your finances or it could be an attitude, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that, that when, when God is speaking, it's creating this, this hunger and this desire and this desire to trust. But here's what I want you to catch. It's not until we step out that that faith really begins to grow and be perfected. And of course, we see this in Abraham's life. I mean, what would have happened when God spoke to him? He sensed intuitively, I can trust this God. But what would have happened if he had not left his homeland? What would have happened if he had not left his extended family? No, nothing would have happened. He, he wouldn't have experienced the blessing of God. And that's like the financial blessing of God. I mean, he became a very wealthy man. That's what God was saying. Um, he would not have experienced the supernatural protection of God that he would often experience in his life. He would not have had a son when he was 100 years old. None of this would have happened. Like he sensed intuitively God was calling him and speaking and he sensed intuitively I can trust this God but it's only when he stepped out and followed that his faith began to grow. And because he did, catch this, God continued to speak to Abraham, continued to reveal himself to Abraham. And because he did, he blessed Abraham and protected Abraham and then gave him a son. And what, what happened is that this trust began to grow and grow and grow because you could see that the person making the promises was trustworthy. It's the same in a human relationship. If you and I are in a relationship and I feel like you can be trusted and I begin to trust you and you show yourself trustworthy, my faith grows naturally. My trust grows naturally. And this is the same as our relationship with God. And so faith grows when God speaks, but faith grows then when we follow. Now, what I want to do as we wrap this up is I want to ask you three simple questions about how faith is growing in your life. We've, we've seen that faith grows when God speaks. Faith grows when we follow. Um, but we have a, a part to play in this, right? We need to evaluate this in our life because I believe God wants us to grow in trust. He wants us to restore that relationship that we lost so long ago in the garden. And he wants to restore that trust that connects us with him and the power of God in our life that can carry out his vision for our life. And so three simple questions. And we didn't have time to go into depth with them, but just because they're fast, I don't want you to... Uh, underestimate how important they are. These are three simple questions. I'll give them to you. We'll talk about them very quickly, but I'd love for you to think and pray about them this week because they're extremely important, right, for, for your future. So here we go. They're in your note sheet. Spiritual warfare, three key questions. The first question I, I, I ask is, are you creating space for God to speak? Are you creating space in your life for God to speak? What we've seen today is that faith grows when God speaks. 
But I believe that many times God is speaking and we are simply not hearing him. And the reason is because we are moving too fast. I don't know about you, but I, I need to slow down to hear God speak. I need to spend time with him. I need to put myself in a place where I can hear his voice. You say, what does that look like? Well, some of it's just the simple things. You know, for some of you, like going to church every weekend has not yet become a habit in your life for whatever reason. And this is not a shame game. Uh, this is just a, a faith coach, right? <laughs> is that what, what I'm saying is that when you're in church, if you're in a church where the word is being taught and you're sensing God speaking to you, but you're only going, let's say like once a month or a uh, couple times a month, whatever. What, what's happening is you're, you're not putting yourself in a place for God to speak. See, God has raised up teachers in the body of Christ to unpack his word. And through these teachers, God speaks. It's the way he's designed his body to work. And so if you're not putting yourself in a place where you're listening to those that God is speaking through, then your faith is not going to grow in the same way. Uh, this is why we, we focus so much on small groups here at Rocky Peak. We wanna put ourselves in a place where we can reflect on what we're learning. What is God saying? And this is one of the reasons why it is so important that we develop what we describe here at Rocky Peak as a regular rhythm of relationship in our time with God. Can I tell you, when I'm going through hard times in my life, times of fear, times of doubt, times of worry, whatever, you know what I need more than anything else? I need to hear the voice of God. And for that, I need to get alone, right? And not just uh, in times of crisis, as a regular part of life. Are you, we all need to be spending time with God alone, one-on-one, -on -one, reading his word, listening for his voice, processing our life together, writing down what he showed. We need to put ourselves in a place where we can hear God speak because when we do, our faith grows. The second question goes like this, and we didn't really talk about this yet, but I wanted to throw it in because I think it's helpful. The question is, are you building relationships with the right people? And you say, who are the right people? I would say the right people are people who are experiencing the presence and power of God in their lives. You know, there's something that's faith-inducing about being around people that are experiencing the presence and the power of God in their lives. Um, just yesterday, I finished rereading a fantastic book uh, by J.P. Moreland from Biola called The Kingdom Triangle. And he talks in that book about what God is doing around the world today. It's amazing. The movement of God, the healings, the freedom from demonic uh, uh, demonizations, um, the, the salvations that are coming at such a rapid rate around the world. And when you read these accounts by a credible person who's experienced, like your faith responds, right? And when you're around certain people in your life, they're experiencing Jesus and God is directing them and leading them and guiding them and working through them. When you're around certain people, it inspires faith in you. 
You know, sometimes we read the Bible and it's like it's so long ago and we think, well, that was Bible times. And it, it wasn't. It's like, no, no, no. It's like they're the same people. As, but we often think of it that way. More around other believers that are hearing the voice of God, that are praying for the sick and seeing them healed, that are connecting with God in their own life, that are experiencing life transformation. God is working in and through. It inspires faith. And so we need to make hanging out with that kind of person, a priority. Who are the people in your life that when you're with them, your faith grows because they're experiencing the presence of God and you're just sharing life with them and it's inspiring you. And then the third question, and I think this is the most important, is are you listening and following when God speaks? We've seen today that our faith grows when God speaks. We've also seen that our faith is not perfected until we, until we follow. You know, it's an interesting thing. If you, if you do a study of faith in the Bible, you'll see that faith and obedience are very close concepts. In fact, sometimes to believe and to obey are used synonymously. And sometimes they're like the flip side of the same coin. And it makes sense, right? Because the reality is we do what we believe. And we can say we trust God, but if we say we trust God but we're not obeying him on what he's asking us to do, the reality is we're just fooling ourselves. Because the truth is we do what we believe. I mean, imagine Abraham saying, yeah, I believe you, God, but I'm not ready to go yet. I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna take that. I really, I believe you, but I'm not leaving my home. You see what that would tell, he doesn't really believe. We do what we believe. And so this becomes the most important question for the growth of faith in our life, is when God is opening up truth, when he's communicating our next step, the question is, are we obeying? Because faith grows when we follow. When we listen and then we follow, we grow. And the enemy knows this. And so he will do everything he can, firing arrow after arrow, to get us to doubt the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God. Because he knows that if he can get us to question and doubt the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God, he can get us to give up during the hard times to give in to temptation or to give way to his lies in our life. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we're so thankful for your word and the beauty of your word and this, this powerful word picture that it paints for us of, of a battle with flaming arrows being shot to burn us alive, to strike us, to kill us, to wound us, and to burn us. And that the weapon you've given us is a shield of faith. That we would trust in your goodness, trust in your power, trust in your wisdom. And that by trusting in you, we would release your power, all that you have in our life. And we carry out the vision you have for our life, just like with Abram. And as we listen and as we follow, our trust would grow because we'd experience you to be trustworthy. And so God, like Peter, when he was called out on the water, we pray that we would listen and we would follow, we would get out of the boat. And because we do, we would experience everything that you have to offer. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen.